We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Caption Celluloid on Make Time for This. Probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. And on this episode, we are going to talk about Sean Durkin's The Iron Claw. The recently released sports biopic, I guess, uh, chronicling the incredible and tragic story of the Von Erich family. Excited to get into it all. Excited to get into it all with you, Andrew. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. It's good to see Adam. Uh, you know, we speak often and, so you know, we see movies at various times of the year. This one I got to late. Um, it was kind of an experience that I have a lot, which is the experience of you telling me I need to see something on a big screen before it gets to streaming or what I will have missed out on at least one element of uh of like the film going experience or the cycle of the film that also happened and the, the reason why i'm good at him or well however i put it is that i recently had that experience uh yesterday as well with the movie we'll talk about in the future uh there are times when you, you can tell me you can name what it is you can name what it's, it is uh the, the taste of things but they're like different versions of adam telling me I you need I, to, to be clear this. i never well there probably are some times there might be a certain film where i'm like you need to see that on a big screen but I do think there are times where I encourage you to see something or I stress the value of you seeing something in a way that you now pick up on the urgency of that and you you get yourself to your nearest theater and you go and see it. But there are different versions of this I've learned. Is sometimes right. it's it's sometimes it's A, Andrew, this is gonna be exactly uh like your vibe, so you need to see it. B, Andrew, this is a masterpiece, you need to see it, or C both and this time but, but see i increasingly film, it was both. i say i no, i said nothing i was just like you you should see this because i'm increasingly conscious of not but when you say any, that i know i know, I know but what other options. way can i get you to see it it's, it's tough it's one of those three options and i don't know what option it is going in and then i don't, don't want to influence you yeah, but that's yeah it's a i have game. to i have to encourage you so i don't 
I don't in any of those terms. Andrew's just getting good at inferring which type it is by me no, saying it, something as I'm simple not. as, hey, you should go and see this. My point is, is I'm not. Uh, because with the taste of things yesterday, like I went, when I saw the trailer, I thought it was going to be column A. And then I came out of it and it is was it column not, C. Is it not boat? Yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what C is. Well, it's B is masterpiece. Oh, okay. A is that's, Andrew's vibe. C is gotcha, both. Gotcha. So it's both. So that's why I'm in a particularly good mood because I'm off 24 hours off the high of uh, that experience. And I saw that directly after rewatching uh, the Iron Claw, the movie we're going to talk about today. And they're both uh, kind of emotional gut punches. So like, I had a real like a real laugh, think, cry day yesterday. What is your relationship to professional wrestling? Uh, that's, I'm glad you asked me that, Adam, because I basically have none. Uh, I would, my cousin loved it. He had like the figurines and it would be on, but like, it's something that I've decidedly thought my entire life is like not my vibe. And then in recent years, it still has not become something that I go to for entertainment, but I respect both the athleticism mm. And the storytelling and the pageantry of it all. And so where it's something where it's like, you know what? I get why this draws in large swaths of people that are very passionate about it. You know, problematic ownership and like organizing aside. But so like I get it, but I, I don't get it if that makes sense. I'm similar, although you sound like you have no relationship and I definitely did have one. Um, I was very big into wrestling as a child, even though, you know, it was kind of all my friends were from a very young age. But my parents were like, you shouldn't probably as like a six year old be watching wrestling, which, to be fair. is maybe accurate because wrestling isn't really just wrestling. A lot of the stuff that happens around wrestling is kind of its own thing that I, I haven't quite worked out, but certainly you know, in the 90s, I think um, the role of the female wrestler in, in the world of wrestling is certainly something that probably was not really ideal for children. Having that was actually that, uh, the glow type of wrestling, that league that existed in like the oh, yeah, 90s, sure, early that 2000s. Yeah. Uh, whatever one, that, the version... Was that then? That was much earlier. Like the glow from no, the I'm show saying, was much earlier. I'm, but there might be. Yeah, I'm saying there was one that existed when I was growing up. Um, I don't know what it was called, but it was like that vibe, and that was the only one I was like allowed to watch in my own home for whatever reason. Okay. Um. Well, I I certainly, even though I wasn't watching, and probably was only playing like SmackDown games when I went to a friend's house. Um. I was as into WWF as it was at the time as it's possible to be, um, given those kind of uh, qualifiers I've already laid out. I did have all of the figurines. I did have the ring and the... I don't think I had the Titantron, but I had some other thing where you could stand them on it and entrance music played and this kind of thing. Um, and I don't know, then within a few years, like by the age where, yeah, okay, I could have watched it. I would I just immediately it was not for me by then, which was kind of unfortunate, but I just couldn't do it. So even I've had I have a couple of friends who even throughout high school and even somewhat to this day would have knowledge of and like a 
good interest more than a passing interest not necessarily like big wrestling fans but they would still know what's going on and that was never me um having said that i just do think it's a really really fascinating sport piece of entertainment combination of the two which is really what this this version of wrestling most is um and it has always been something that whenever I watch a documentary on a wrestler, particularly from the kind of era that the Iron Claw is set, or whether it be, you mentioned Glow. I mean, I love the Netflix series Glow. And in watching the Iron Claw, I was like, God, I really, you know, what can I watch? What can I read? Like, I'm I'm interested in this era. And you're right, the, the, the kind of, sheer athletic endeavor and the the suffering that wrestlers go through to do what they do is kind of mind-boggling um but then the execution of that and then the ideas of trying to construct a narrative and even just then all of the inner workings and the politics of it all are make for something that is deeply deeply interesting so i can't say that i come to this with all of the the context with all of the knowledge but I may catch up with some of it down the line in a historical sense, because I do find kind of the business of wrestling, maybe not so much in the present, but in how it got to its present point to be something that's very, very interesting. And particularly when you look at kind of a lot of the outsized characters of this era, um, Ric Flair, for example, shows up in, in somewhat interesting performance in the film you obviously have all of the <laughs> von erics um harley race right is is the champion early on in the movie and really kind of everyone around that era what just preceded it and what proceeded it there's just so many kind of iconic names um that this all kind of gives way to a really really rich tapestry to tell a story and i think when it gets to this story itself one of the th- first things i felt when I came out of the movie is I kind of can't believe that it's taken this long to make a movie of this story. Yeah. I I was kind of uh, in the same boat there. Another thing that I think about when I think of wrestling and wondering why I wasn't into it more, but maybe it would have been just because I came along uh, a little later, but like how just like re- religious it is for people in the American South. And obviously a lot of this movie takes place in Texas. And I'm sure there was tons of like barnstorming going on. And those were, you know, some of the markets were, that were the most popular. I mean, I've got relatives still and friends still that just like love professional wrestling. And this story is just, yeah, something that <laughs> un- unfortunately for, you know, the Von Eric family was something that was just designed to be told on the big screen. And it's just like a true good old-fashioned American tragedy is kind of uh, how this film plays out. And this this film, to me, is deeply, deeply American as well, uh, just because of, like, that whole, I mean, the arc of, around, like, masculinity and kind of, like, a family heritage and curse-breaking and uh, it coming from that, like, stoic uh, kind of reserved father who probably like thought the 50s were like the golden era of american life kind of a thing uh so yeah it, it was kind of shocking to me that i knew i knew the von eric name obviously i know rick flair i think he's i think he's a north carolina guy i can't remember we always see him show up on jumbotrons mm. at various uh sporting events around here so the fact that it took so long to 
have this story told in this way um, was a bit surprising um, because like we've seen the Southpaws of the world and like a new boxing movie like every other year. But um, I mean, when I'm thinking of wrestling, the only thing that's come to mind are like Mickey Rourke and the wrestler or Mm -hmm. like the, the page. uh, I can't remember her last name. Uh, Fighting with my family. uh, Yeah. Fighting with my family. That was, uh, was that Lawrence Pugh? Who was it? Yeah. Yeah, Lawrence Pugh, the rock directed by Steve Merchant. Quite a weird. I I saw that movie uh, at a film festival with a Q and a from Steve Merchant. So that was, just a kind of a weird, I think it was fine from what I remember, but just a weird cultural object, which maybe speaks to the place that wrestling movies have generally held. Um, even though maybe it is a little bit surprising, there wasn't more of a a glut in the aftermath of the wrestler. Yeah, for whatever reason uh, that it took so long for this to kind of become a big mainstream movie, uh I think we're rewarded for it in the end because the confluence of the events that got this cast together, I think, uh, turned out to be something, you know, really damn good. And not just the cast, but um, I actually want to start with the director because this is something that I've known about and anticipated for quite a while. Um, I like Sean Durkin's work very much. He kind of bursts on the scene with Marta, Marcy, May, Marlene. Um, the film that really launched Elizabeth Olsen's career as well, but got a lot of kind of critical acclaim and awards attention on festival circuits way back in 2011. And it was a case like it often is, even for someone who has a kind of indie success where he found it very difficult to get his next project up and running. And he had years and years of conversations and near misses before He made what was a very deeply personal film to him in 2020's The Nest, starring Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Film that I think it probably would have come up on the pod before. Um, I would think in honorable mentions, maybe when we did our best of for that year. And this is a film, The Iron Claw, that he had kind of had in development, been working on from before The Nest's release. And it quickly became clear off the back of that and him kind of being back in the mix with a movie that this was going to be the next one. Having said that, based on the subject matter and the style of the first two films, I really struggled to imagine what Sean Durkin's wrestling movie was going to look like. And I think having seen it, what I'm both maybe most surprised and most impressed by is like, how conventional and mainstream it is and how you watch this movie and it's not something that did big business. It's done fine, respectable business. I I think it's maybe a little bit unlucky not to have had a bigger breakout. I think we touched on this a few weeks ago. A24 have had a very strong slate, as is often the case, and I think them trying to find the spots for all of those has possibly been a challenge. And in some senses, they may have ended up competing with themselves for more kind of art house eyeballs. But something like the Iron Claw, I think if theaters had really been in a place to bet big on it, I think could have played much wider and grossed a lot more money. And I think over time, like when it lands on a streamer, I guess that always depends on what streamer it lands on. But if, for example, it was to end up on Netflix everyone's going to watch this and 
I think very high percentage of those people are going to like it. I'm going to be really taken in by it because there is something that is so shocking about the string of, you know, events that take place throughout this film that I think it will actually play well with the kind of more, I don't know, lowbrow and salacious content that's often on those services that people like go to in their droves. This is kind of like a meeting of all of it, which is kind of perfect as, as a wrestling movie. I feel like it is this amazing kind of just confluence of highbrow, lowbrow, and it comes together to be something that you look at and you're like, I I see this having really big mass appeal, even if it hasn't necessarily had the opportunity to find that audience at this time. And I didn't know Sean Durkin was a guy who could make those kind of movies. So that's the thing that strikes me anytime I watch it. It's like, oh, like my parents would probably really enjoy this. I think all of my friends would really enjoy this, where I know we often have that conversation and you do in particular, where the idea of what you recommend to people or what you can and can't recommend to people. This really, to me at least, felt like something. Will it be more challenging in some places or will it be a harder watch in some places than maybe some types of viewers are used to? Maybe, but it just feels as kind of close as you can get to high-level broad in a way that's interesting because this film just didn't really register at all in the awards race because in a lot of senses, this would have been like an Oscar frontrunner and a pretty obvious Oscar frontrunner. 15, 20, 25 years ago and work your way back from that. This was exactly the type of film, exactly the kind of collection of performances that used to kind of garner that attention. Yeah, I've been recommending it to the wrestling uh, fan people that I told you about. I've been re recommending it to people that are like the 10 movies a year types of people in my life that will normally get mad at me if I were like to recommend something uh, as they would call it pretentious or something like that. Like, I recommend it to those people. I recommend it to my brother who used to see a lot of movies, doesn't see as many as he used to anymore unless they're from like 1999. Um, uh, recommended it to... The only person I'm not going to recommend it to is my mom, and you know why. And I'm not talking yeah, about yeah, it on the yeah, podcast. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, and it, it is... It feels like the kind of movie, too, that if it had gotten that awards buzz it would have taken that next step in terms of people coming to it, like a re-release yeah. in the theaters or whatever it may be, um, and would have gotten much more success at the box office and just, like, the type of movie where people who don't see see many movies are like, oh, yeah, that was my favorite movie of the year, but also, like, like that's not, like, hyperbolic. It's something that's, like, be like, yeah, I see that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the cast is loaded. I mean, Zac Efron oh. for... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I wonder, did the wrestling play a factor, even like for Academy voters, that there's a certain kind of person who went, I'm not watching a wrestling movie. And that was just yeah, I think... the, the end point. Because I, I think even if you're to think of Best Picture, like this and Maestro are kind of vying for a similar spot in a traditional sense. I mean, you look at just the ridicule that I think you and I both agree unfairly, certainly to the extent it's been and that, that Maestro has gotten. And then this is pretty universally loved film from anyone who's seen it. I, I think he could have filled that spot in a way that was more crowd-pleasing and had less of that kind of backlash to it as well. 
Um, it's kind of memeable too, despite the tragic. It is memeable. Well, and particularly like, like you look at the actors who were in it. You were about to get onto that, but like there are not many kind of hotter properties in the world of TV and movies, and Jeremy Allen White and then Zac Efron has always had some of that, and I think even has more juice coming in something like this because it's so different from what he's generally associated with. Harris Dickinson is kind of very much a rising star too. So you get all of that. It just, to me, it feels like the movie that would have made a lot of sense to kind of occupy the maestro biopic space. But if it comes to Academy voters, some of whom might be like, I'm going to watch 20 movies for this, but I'm not watching all the movies. And then they're in a spot where it's like, well, will we watch the Leonard Bernstein movie or will we watch the Iron Claw about wrestling? I don't know. Maybe there was just... Maybe there were some prejudices there that, that weren't overcome, which is unfortunate because I, I really struggled to see otherwise. I'd even I wish we had any sense of like how close it was. It feels like it should just be outside the 10 in terms of the films that were up there, but also it just didn't reckon anywhere else. It was just hasn't been a factor in the award season, which would suggest that actually it might have been way, way down in terms of the order. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, I guess, despite the wrestling subject matter, and I don't mean this in a cynical way, but it's the type of story that feels like something that would really resonate with Oscars uh, voters in the Academy. And just like people love a a sad story told in kind of like a mainstream accessible way a lot of the times with, with this. I mean, like you said, maybe it is just like if this is a Netflix movie for better or for worse, like, this is a movie that just, like, takes off and explodes. Even I memed it yesterday. Uh, I was trying to think of a, uh, you know, funny response to who should be cast in uh, the Beatles movie, and someone already beat me to it with that, so I had to opt for, thankfully, I, th- I think you should leave, had a, uh, a, po- a picture on Google with four characters, so that worked out nicely. I was able to pivot from that, but yeah, it's like something, if, if it had been on Netflix and queued up in people's algorithms people uh gif it and meme it relentlessly and it'd get a lot more eyeballs on it which is you know i you know still don't prefer that reality where movies are dropped on netflix is this gonna be on max is that where it's gonna live i have uh, no idea i don't i i suppose a24 do have a deal at max so i would assume okay. um which is interesting like for example i'm sure disney would have liked this on hulu given the jeremy allen white of it all and it might have played really really well there i i think the other thing that maybe we just shouldn't gloss over that we at least need to mention is it was released in the u.s the 22nd of december and that's just traditionally yeah. being too late to make meaningful awards noise and maybe the play from a24 was look there's going to be strong enough buzz from festivals if people connect with this we've got a really strong cast it can be carried true and I mean, some good stuff came out around Christmas, but there probably was an opportunity there if this could have done bigger business and really taken a hold. Maybe that's what they bet on. Was it being kind of the the late box office breakout, the kind of the counter-programming to Wonka? Um, what else? Something big came out, like, on. I mean, there was the Aquaman film. Something better also came out, of, like the... 26th of December, maybe Christmas Day in the US, but 
The ops just didn't work out. Look, it's grossed $40 million, which is not nothing by any means for an A24 movie, for a Sean Durkin movie. Just it definitely could have been bigger. And you're right, if it had got any kind of awards buzz to get it back in theaters, that certainly would have done it if it got a wider release out of that, if multiplexes were taking it. But it just is kind of, it feels like a no-brainer that you would have kind of a built-in audience for, and then you should be able to sell it beyond that if you got your cast out there. And they kind of did. Any media I saw them was good, but then even that was interesting. Like, I felt they really zeroed in. Like, I checked out interviews on a few wrestling podcasts because I wanted to get a sense of, like, that perspective of it and to hear them talk through some of the more technical elements. And they went a wrestling podcast that seemed to get, like, um, Zach Efron and Jeremy Allen White, and also get Sean Durkin. Like they, they really went for. We're taking this to the people. It's kind of for the people who will care the most. Which maybe if you just took it wider, and if your focus was really let's get everyone to see it, then those same people would have known. I don't know. It's always it's always a tricky one, but I do think this film is going to have a really long shelf life and i think it will find a much bigger audience in time so that'll be interesting when it plays out we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Will we talk about the movie itself? Yeah, let's do you want do to Do you want to talk first... Because we usually leave this to the end, then we don't really do it. Do you want to talk about the the cast? You were about to, before we pivoted to that part of the conversation, mention some of the the actors. Yeah, I just think it's like the way I was describing it to people was just like the the meshing of the personalities and what they're bringing to each of the characters. I th- I thought was just perfect from Zac Efron down. Like you mentioned, Jerry uh, Jeremy Allen White, uh, L- Lily James, who I just love in everything even when she's in bad movies i like watching lily james on the screen uh i noticed in this film adam i'm the only person in the world that saw this movie that noticed this uh she was in a bad 
uh, Beatles movie a few years ago called Yesterday. She was very charming uh, in that movie. She was so charming. Uh, and that was one of the problems with the movie because they kept making her be yeah, like, oh, they kept I'm making this it. Yeah, she was the school teacher. And we're like, you're one classic, of the most beautiful classic women. rom-com pitfall, to be fair, that yeah. they, they decide to pretend some beautiful, charming woman is in fact just, you know, an ordinary Jane. Uh, so she makes a, she does a, is it? Uh, Roy Schneider impression from Jaws in that movie where she says you're gonna need we're gonna need a bigger boat as they're wheeling equipment out of a festival and in this film when they're in their apartment and looking to buy a house she said we're gonna need a bigger boat so this is like now in the Mark Ruffalo they knew uh, genre of films with Lily James dialogue I'm not I'm not crazy it's fine uh, more Tierney who plays the you know cold cruel mother who has been under the the foot of her husband for so long that she's just like completely dead inside. I mean, she plays that off perfectly. And then uh, you mentioned uh, Harris Dickinson and he's really who kind of blew me away in this. He has, he plays, hmm. what is it? David? Uh, like just kind of, I thought that was a character that is supposed to be obviously the most precocious and like kind of the most outgoing of the brothers in the trio. Um but uh, I was worried. I was like, I don't know who is this guy. He's going to get lost in the shuffle. But I thought he was actually really good. And then Stanley Simons, I'd never heard of, who plays Mike, who's kind of like the meek, mild, younger brother. I just think they balance each other out so well. And like the from the guys being dudes moments uh, of the film, which are, bring a lot of levity and like really let you know about the family and connection that the fa- the family has. This is funny. We're going to talk about uh Yano Satakumpo uh on a podcast later. And you you know what? They they uh those four brothers, Adam, they were that at uh uh before they even happened. They were just, you know, like all about their the brothers and the family. So they just wanted to be together doing their sport and having fun. And uh yeah, I think uh exceptional cast and obviously uh what is it? Holt McCall Annie Holt McCallany. Uh, McCallany as Fritz is just like, you know, top tier uh, top tier overbearing terrible father so you know the the von eric casting and obviously lily james is pam who would be kevin's wife and kind of like the emotional or moral center of the movie i think she's like the the glue uh i think it all really kind of meshed nicely i the person that i want to think about is holt mccallany um who is one of the better kind of not to go full Bill Simmons, but that guy actor is working and has been a great supporting actor for a long, long time and got an opportunity to kind of elevate above that um, for David Fincher in Mindhunter where he played Bill Tench and I really thought he was just absolutely incredible in that show. And this is really the first time that I can remember seeing where he's got a film role to kind of live up to that, where he is not just some kind of background figure um, in a movie. And he is to me, the central part of the film. You've got to, you got to get Fritz von Eric, right. You've got to understand the environment he created for his sons. You got to understand the pressure he put on his sons. You got to understand just the kind of oppressive presence he was even when he's not on the screen. And that means that when he is on the screen, you have to set that tone kind of no perfect. And 
I think Holt McCallany just nailed that. It's such a big, powerful performance without necessarily being the kind of guy who was doing a whole lot of, you know, shouting and screaming because he never had to. You know, he he just, his presence was enough. The way he carried himself was enough. When he spoke, he spoke with authority and everyone just fell in line. And I, I don't think it works if you don't get him right. Obviously, you've got to get the wrestlers, you got to get the Devon Eriks in the ring, right? But you will never understand them. Nothing will ever kind of fall into place or have any emotional resonance without kind of just getting him. And in terms of the part, it's a really interesting role because you got to kind of be a monster and also he's not a monster. I don't know. There's a very gray line. I, I, there's a really interesting clip I saw going around Twitter where Holt McConley got very, very kind of angry on the press tour and defensive of Fritz von Erich and what should and what shouldn't be put on Fritz von Erich in terms of the rest of his family, but also the wider world of wrestling and how it changed. And I guess the impact it had on a lot of people in a negative way. And you can just see... I don't know the extent to which he became one with his character and he channeled something and he gained some deeper understanding that I don't think is there and I don't think should necessarily be there for all viewers. But for him to play the role, I just I think that I think that level of conviction was necessary. And he delivers on it. And I, I think when you look at kind of some of the awards fields, I if there was one place I was gonna get this movie in, I really think I would have tried to get Holt McCallany in the the best supporting actor mix. I, I think he would have been very deserving of that. I'll agree with you on the performances all around. Also, I think Zac Efron is very, very strong and what's a very tough leading performance because in ways that are kind of uncharacteristic for him, he doesn't necessarily get to be charismatic at all. He has to be the steady anchor of the movie and of the family, and he has to be the consistent presence while his brothers are winning titles and, you know, falling fellow great tragedy around them. He has to be the anchor for the film. I think he does a really, really great job on that. And that's not to mention his insane physical transformation. I mean, it applies kind of across the board. I think in a on a differing scale, like Harris Dickinson, taller, maybe it's not as easy for his body to kind of just blow up in the way that it did for the two kind of smaller guys. Jeremy Allen White, like, he looks pretty incredible. He's certainly got himself in wrestling shape. But then you see what Zac Efron is, and you're like, my God, this is a transformation. He's been very well-reviewed for this movie, but I also think it's a pity that he gave a great performance, and he did the, you know, oh, I'm, I'm... He did multiple things, not just that here's a physical transformation, but also, you know, I'm this kind of actor you haven't been taking seriously. And now here I am to show you what I can do. It's the kind of thing that usually pays off in a big way come award season. It didn't in this case. That's not the be all and end all. But the reason I'm kind of referencing it for this film is I think this is an incredible cast of actors who I really like. I think some of them could have really benefited from that. I think... Zac Efron may be able to use this as a platform anyway, but if he was to go on to be Oscar nominated for this, I think it might have changed the kind of roles he gets offered on a very regular basis. 
um, rather than it being once in a while that something comes along that's a bit more interesting and challenging that he wants. And I think it could have transformed Holt McCallany's career. But incredible cast and great performances. Yeah, Zach Efron's had a really interesting career. I think some of it um, probably slowed down due to, I know, like substance issues and health issues. Um, but to go from like having the burden of being the high school musical guy, like on your resume and that's what you're known for. And then to, you know, this wasn't a, <laughs> this wasn't a movie that like I was really into. People love the greatest showman. He was in that. Um, he played, he played Ted Bundy for God's sake. Um, and now getting the iron claw and this kind of like potentially career launch pad performance in his late thirties, I think to your point is something that could really change what the next half of his career uh, looks like. So maybe there's some, another role down the line where he gets some makeup recognition for the lack of that with, with this role. But yeah, um, it's a thankless role in many ways, because like you said, he's like the pillar in the middle of a house that's completely crumbling. Um, And when you think of Zac Efron, like you think of the, handsome charismatic outgoing dude and most of his movies are just like goofballs like neighbors or something the character from that or like i think you still think of high school musical though more than anything even like i've never seen those movies but that's him to me like that's it's teen idol but in a very 2000s way which is very different from teen idols before and after that to some extent it feels like listen i i watched that growing up everyone wanted to be troy bolton that was probably did like, you really yeah i was probably like uh 14 when it came out and you know it was on i watched it uh i was into i was in like theater at that time so like i was into the musicals and stuff i don't um, even knew this you didn't know I mean, I it, ma- it makes kid? no it makes sense it makes sense that you say it but like, i don't I think I, I actively knew it i uh I was in several plays, um, actually. Like you were uh, Mister like baseball, so it's just I was. The, so I, would, I know you like, were just would... across all kind of social divides. You were just I I'm mean, here to do everything. That's very fair. Um, I took theater one or two twice because I had a I had had enough credits where I was gonna graduate, uh, on time anyway, and I could have just taken like a random class, but I just took it this second time because my brother and wife were in that class and i was like i just want to go hang out with them i don't really care what grade i get in here so like i was really committed to my craft as a thespian adam uh i was in an ayn rand play i played one of the uh i played the defense attorney i think his name was stevens uh wow the the night of january 16th uh so there's some lore uh fun fact on that the, the title of that play fun fact on that nailed all my lines uh crisp performance i got great reviews from the theater teacher uh but the jury had to be picked from the crowd so people would walk in and they would get cast in the jury and sarah or my brother or whoever some idiot uh i will in this case cast my dad do you know how hard it is to walk out onto a stage to do a play and you turn and you see your dad sitting in the jury but you kept it together and just locked it in and he was like sorry they were running out of people or they didn't have enough people and they didn't even do it so like I'm, I'm built for the pressure adam this is a full family affair yeah it was like the von erics but you know <laughs> the theater traffic, von erics the yeah. theater of Erics, that's certainly maybe we need to just revisit your story maybe 
Maybe think... yours is the one that people long for now because how does it take this long to be a movie? I can't. Uh, I can't remember what role my brother played. I'll ask him at some point. But you know, shout out to my dad's uh, performance as well. It was great work from him. Nothing like Fritz von Erich. And I do want to comment also your comments about uh, Holt's approach to um, like the character. I think, like you said, uh, in many cases, like depiction does not like equal like what's the word I'm looking for like endorsement. Uh, Endorsement, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for. But also, I imagine in a lot of these situations where actors are having to embody a character, you have to approach it with a degree of empathy that you're playing a human being and not just like their worst deeds. So I can understand the challenging kind of mental we, space that puts we you. We saw in. the Will Smith King Richard arc of this, which was interesting. Well, I hope uh, maybe but, he. But would... also, like an interesting example to hold up to this because a, a less a much neater, nicer story coming out the other side of it for Richard Williams' daughters and the success they had, but at the same time, real similarities in terms of like focus of a parent just being completely unwavering. And driving his kids to well, this is this is what you're doing. This is the direction we're going in. And one of those movies with a big star and in the leading role, I guess, is the difference. Um, was very heavily rewarded, and honestly, it did not deserve to be. That performance was not interesting, and here it was overlooked. So, yeah, I don't know, but it's even interesting to think of that kind of element of it. Okay. We're going to talk about the movie itself, and I do think from this point on, I'm going to put a spoiler warning, and if you haven't seen The Iron Claw, I'm really, really going to encourage you to stop listening. Um, If you know about the Von Erich story, then you can probably keep going, but if you don't know, which is probably the position Andrew and I came into it in, do please stop listening and wait until you see the film, because it is genuinely unbelievable so unbelievable that you know the filmmakers had to factor that into what they would portray so that they didn't lose audiences this is a, a true story unlike many others and i think getting to experience that in the film is certainly very very powerful so this is a spoiler warning if you have not seen the iron claw or you do not know the von eric story before you skip ahead smash that subscribe button like Signal boost. Okay. I don't know, did we talk about this? Did we talk about the... the differences between the real-life story and what's in the movie? Or do you know about this? I can't remember if we ever... Uh... I don't think we have. They leave out a full brother, right? I think they I leave saw out a, that. They leave out a full brother. Um, That's just... That's kind of where I wanted to start with that. Um, because I, <laughs> you watch the movie and you're like, good God, how is it possible for so much tragedy just for this kind of continuous, never ending run of events that are like, it's not even the next one. Each one is more tragic than the next. It's just like, it's, it's all the way up to a hundred every single time. I came out of being like, it's crazy, crazy that that's real. And then you find out that they left out the youngest brother of the family, Chris Von Eric, 
who died by suicide in 1991. And... The reason why they left them out was the quote that's on the Wikipedia page for Shadow Durkin is it was one more tragedy that the film couldn't really withstand. And I've heard him talk about that in some interviews and he's talked a little bit about Chris wrestled, but he wrestled because he was Fritz von Erich's son and he didn't really have much of a choice, but it was not it was not really his thing in the way it was for the others. He had a variety of health conditions which made it really really challenging he was much much smaller than the other brothers i believe he was only five foot five and it couldn't just, be me adam couldn't be he, me. he was not built to be a wrestler and yet he was born into this the ultimate wrestling family where really nothing other than wrestling was accepted aside from maybe being an olympic level athlete at another sport um and I can see the complications in getting that in. I can see the complications in just making like a began a broad mainstream feature film where that all stays within control in terms of runtime. And also where it doesn't get to a point where the audience almost starts laughing at the end, where it just feels unreal. Because I I saw this, it was a preview screening, um, so which was great because it was a really full theater, and it was probably before anyone would have even heard from people they knew so i'm sure there were people there who knew about the von erics and and they maybe were more prepared but there were audible gasps when things would happen and you could feel like i don't know the accumulation of that and the impact that was having on the audience i i think it's really it's a real pity like, it just feels wrong that there's a brother not in this story, but I do also completely understand and maybe even agree with Sean Durkin that it might have been teetering on the edge as it is. And to put another brother in, I do believe also one of the sons, I want to say... I want to say David had a child who died as a baby before he died. Um wives were kind of excluded for again I guess a coherent narrative or not brought into the timeline at the moment they would have been so there was just considerably even more layers to the tragedy than what was ultimately depicted in the film which is really really difficult to comprehend and maybe in part that answers the question we were asking earlier of how did it take so long to make a film about this like Maybe it would have been better suited as a really kind of complete mini series or you know limited series, but even with that, what are you going to do? You're going to have each episode a brother is dying. Like that's that's really grim. It's just a really kind of tough nut to crack dramatically. What did what did you think about that? Or again, I don't know if you knew all of that or how much you you know now that we're talking about it. But what do you make of, I guess, the decisions that had to be made to shape this into a narrative? And was it the right call to have just the four sons? Um, we should say it's not just the four sons, but we follow the four sons for the majority of the film. Um, maybe recently, since we've been doing the podcast. So probably in that time frame. I've come to view, like, based on a true story filmed as not gospel and not like, I'm not reading a history textbook when I'm watching one of these films. Like, like we talked about with Oppenheimer, 
are killers of the flower moon. Uh, I expect these films to get broad strokes of a story told correctly. There are going to be some artistic license with things for the reasons you just discussed. Um, and really, they're telling the spirit of a true story and wrapping that into a narrative that exists all on its own as a document of just it being a movie. So I'm, I'm, this wasn't documentary. It wasn't like talking heads talking about the Von Erickson and their tragedies and everything. So I'm more than okay with a director who, you know, has the, the blessing of a family or a person and then his extended family at this point, since I think Kevin's, I guess, the only one left and his family mm-hmm. that he's uh, created with Pam and the, I know they got like a big, uh, a big uh, farm in Hawaii, so they're all like hanging out there having a good time. Uh, so I understand creatively why that decision was made. Like I'm not gonna have any qualms with that, and that's not gonna diminish a film, in in my opinion, because I'm not looking for it to be just like uh, the the main source of truth about the Von Erichs. If I want to know <laughs> everything that was left out of a two hour film, I can go Google that and figure that out. And the other, the other brother we should, I guess, specifically mention is Jack, who was the eldest of the siblings, who we do see, um, as a child throughout the film. We'll probably revisit that later. Um, but Jack died at six years of age in Niagara Falls after he stepped on a trailer tongue, was electrically shocked, and then fell into a melting snow puddle face first and drowned. Like. <laughs> Just the level of horrific, horrific stuff that this family had been through is beyond belief. Um, I I think it does an incredibly good job of something that is a rare kind of challenge where we've got to meet the brothers as a group and we've got to we've got to become connected to them as that. And we've got to become connected to the Von Eriks rather than just Kevin. I mean, you could have made a movie that was just about Kevin and really spent less time with the brothers together, but that is decidedly not what's done here. It's, this is a film about the brothers and eventually the brothers are kind of ultimately picked off over the course of the film until Kevin is the person we began with. And the person we're kind of, we're still with by the end. Um, but I, I think the challenge in that is building up the kind of the quartet, somewhat of a trio early on, because Mike isn't really in the wrestling side of things, although we do get kind of great scenes of them together, and we get Mike in his bands and kind of the brothers kind of sneaking out to get him to go and play a show at a local college, I think it was. Um but all of that is very effective, and I, it's, it's something that on a rewatch was even more apparent to me. It's kind of, it's how quickly things are set in motion, really, in terms of the overall kind of shape of the film. Like, Harris Dickinson is not in this film all that long, and yet he has to make an impression. For everything to work, he has to make an impression. And then it's so soon off the back of that. It's like within 10 minutes, Kerry has finally delivered the world championship for the Von Eriks. And then his life has completely been transformed. It's like, it's it's once it's relentless in terms of the misery that it has to dish out 
once it gets to that point. But you've got to get it to a place where we're invested and we understand and just that the film can work. You've got to buy into the brothers and doing that with limited time and knowing you're going to lose them as you go along. That's not always easy. And you don't see Carrie for about 40 minutes to start the film. Like he, we get up to him at like his Olympic training facility. And yet by the time each tragedy is happening, you feel like you've like been living. You feel like you're one of the brothers and your, your brothers are dying. And like you said, the it, it just, there are a lot of quiet moments with like just shots on faces processing what has just happened. I think the scene with Ric Flair um, in the locker room uh, with Devon Eriks after mm-hmm. uh, Kevin has been disqualified for, uh, I think, holding the iron claw too long. The iron claw too Rick long. Flair, yeah, made Ric Flair bleed and everything. And Ric Flair's coming in just finding out where he can get a drink and meet a woman is basically how I read that. And the Von Eriks are just uh all despondent and it's just like you see the different approaches that uh fritz's mindset about wrestling has left on the family and rick flair's coming in and just having a completely different set of priorities and yeah like you like you said it just establishes these familial bonds and so quickly you just become invested in it and then like carrie he takes a while to get into it. You see Jeremy Allen White. Oh, I know him from the bear. This is great. He's part of the family too. Now he's going to join the crew. And then all of a sudden, bang, David's gone. Bang. We're getting up to Harry's accident. And like, he's trying to fight with a prosthetic or wrestle with a prosthetic foot. Like it's just all just fast and furious. And it goes from uh square dancing to, uh, thank God I'm a country boy at the wedding as a family. Uh, I'm going to get you to speak to that in a minute. But uh, that's great to to the uh it's like the upslope of the roller coaster straight to the downslope and that's the part in the film where it just splits off and just hits you left with the left and right hooks hooks the rest of the film but yeah they do a great job of just establishing everything about the brothers so that you need to know and more specifically feel for everything that's going to come next to really land with you uh you're not a texan i'm not but you are a man of the set this is a deeply, deeply Southern film. This is a Texas film to its core. So Zach Efron is from California. Harris Dickinson is English. Uh, Jeremy Allen White is from New York. I don't know where Stanley Simons is from. Um, basically, what I'm getting at here is Holt McConley, also from New York. Is this film believably Southern? It it obviously is to me, but I know nothing more on that. Because I know this was a, a kind of a point of conversation, I feel like, in the wrestling community, because it was like, you've got to understand the Von Erichs were Texas wrestling. And yeah, it ultimately expanded beyond that, but that's what they reckon, that's what they represented. And that's kind of how big they were and how central they were to that scene in Texas. Like, the Texas of it all is kind of impossible to kind of pull away so whether it be accent work whether it be that scene with is it thank god i'm a country boy is that what you said it's called at the wedding yeah. john, john john denver um uh so, yeah. john denver i never would have known yeah. that he's country roads right yep he is yes he is. there we go um <laughs> is it is it believable or like to you let alone a texan is it like there's something off here. 
I'm kind of just asking like from a genuine place of I, I don't actually know. I'm aware that this is a level where it wouldn't occur to me where when this happens to me with depictions of Ireland, maybe watch out for, you know, <laughs> an episode a trailer of soon, Adam. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan's film, Irish Wish, with, which seems to make the very bold decision, which I'm not opposed to, of not having anyone Irish in the film set in Ireland. Although there has been some debate that one of the people may actually be attempting an Irish accent and no one thinks he's doing an Irish accent. Listen, we'll find out when the movie comes out. But yes, to that point, is this credible in just a a southern wrestling story kind of way? It's enough to be credible. Like I don't I mean I don't I was it's so weird. Um Harris, because, I like, think Harris Dickinson's accent is good, and I've heard other people say it's good, but they haven't necessarily been Texans or even people from the South, so I, I don't know whether to believe that. I think Harris Dickinson and uh, Lily James are the best at... Like, so the English awesome. actors. Yeah, and I think, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy Allen White, Jack Efron, yeah, they're just he, doing a lot. They're just doing Jeremy, a lot. Well, Jeremy Allen White honestly could be carmy at times. Like, I think yeah. Yeah, that's just his thing, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's lip or he's carmy and like adds in some twang at some point. That's fine. Zach Efron um, though is dialed all the way. Has he gone too far to the point where you're like, oh, this is it's it's you know, it's it's Jamie Dornan in uh whatever that Irish film that offended me that time was. Basically, unless you're Tom Cruise and far and away or whatever oh, that gosh. movie is. Like it doesn't really matter to me anymore. Like we talked about this with Ferrari. It's like I don't care. Like, are is it noticeably Ferrari is, bad? Ferrari is different though, because like you're suspending disbelief because they're speaking English, right? So once it's doing that, it's like I think that's that's its own thing. But this is they do speak English in Texas. Um <laughs> allegedly. So I don't know. I guess I'm again. I'm. I don't know. You may not even be able to answer. I feel bad making you representative of the South, a very large region with very varying accents and dialects. Listen, like I think once we got past Ozark being a phenomenon and Julia Garner <laughs> doing whatever she was doing on that show, it's like it's Southern accents. Just like dial it up if you have to, keep it simple if you have to. Like, does it matter to me that does Zach Efron sound like he's exactly from Dallas or wherever? Not really. Like, uh, I think he, him and like, he's doing a lot. Like, he's taking it there. Like, he's like, uh, Lily James, like, what do you want from this life, Kevin Von Erich? He's like, more ribs. And it's like <laughs> dialing it up to like really going for it Southern. And, but there are people that sound like this, Adam. Like, I have to most people around here. A pretty mild southern accent. Now I talk to you guys in Wisconsin, or I go to Liverpool, and I walk into a restaurant, and I say to the hostess, "You all right?" And she thinks I'm wearing a cowboy hat with uh, six shooters on my hips. Uh, it's a different kind of uh, even thing. even the way you say on my hips there is so aggressively of another world to people from other places. But you probably yes. speaking to me and speaking to the Wisconsin folks so often, and even then your work life brings it like. That probably has diluted your accent somewhat too, because you are, you're just part of the wider world. This is the life that you live. That is true. I am Global citizen, the, Andrew Snyder. 
Like if I, I mean, honestly, what is the, like, I think I would speak to someone like at a, uh, what's what, like at a convenience store in between here and the coast selling me uh Coke Zero and Skittles and he's got a, a wad of dip in his mouth and a trucker hat that says John Deere on it. I would probably spot, speak to him differently than I would talk to you or on a work call. So that's a very good point. It's like he kind I, of just... I don't think that's unusual though. Like I yeah I have had people tell me that I put on an American accent to do podcasts. Which really? I I decidedly do not. Like this is not what's happening here. I'll but be the judge of that very I soon, guess, maybe. <laughs> I guess that's maybe what it sounds like to people here. Uh, you are you are going to come to visit me, it seems like, soon. I I definitely... I will talk different, differently even to people in Dublin who are from Dublin. But I don't... That's not a... This is like a phone voice thing, right? I talk to you oh, differently yeah, yeah. when we're not recording than when we are recording. That's that's something that I make an effort to do because we're on, Andrew. We are performers and we got to deliver in a professional manner for the people. I did not do kind of, I was not a theater kid, but I understand the theater kid life, right? Um, yeah, no, that's I, a good I, point. I don't, I don't think it's make or break anyway in asking the question. I just, I was curious. Maybe just even, is the wedding representative? Does the wedding feel Southern to you? Uh, you have, yes, you have no. shouted out that particular scene to me multiple times and seeing it so i just felt I like it's made it. a connection with you i love that scene it's 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 like the last moment of joy we all feel before we know that pain is coming our way and just for that song like i remember uh like that's like even at a, i was at a baltimore orioles game and they played thank god i'm a country boy it's like the seventh inning stretch song i don't know if they still do that they would do it at braves games in baltimore yeah, I I might have been just like a vote on the song kind of thing for that, but there wouldn't have been cell phones. I don't remember. Or, but they would have been like, "Yell now if you want Mambo Number Five. So that's probably what right. that was. Um, uh, yeah, I remember it vividly. Uh, at an Orioles game and at Braves games after the point. That's or after the fact, but that's not the point. I I do love that scene. I think it's it seems very Texas that they would just break out a choreographed like family dance to a John Denver song. Uh I've been to Texas a few times. Uh stick to the cities with major colleges and you'll you'll be good to go. Um yeah, I think it all it all works. Like to varying degrees. Efron's doing a lot. Jeremy Allen White slipping in and out. Harris Dickinson and um Lily James I thought were great. Uh maybe it could be my Lily Lily James like bias where it's just like I'm put under a spell anytime she's in a movie and it's just going to work for me but yeah. The very common thing that comes from English and indeed Irish actors I hear that a lot from American critics of that they do accents American accents better than often American actors do I don't know I don't know where that always comes to I definitely would not say that that is universal because there are certainly exceptions to that Um, but yeah I know it's interesting I don't want to just kind of overlook because the subject matter is obviously so heavy and there's so many heavy scenes in the movie. Just how fun this is and just how many sequences. Like, I think we've talked about, I believe, when Rush's Tom Sawyer starts playing, which is from Jeremy Allen White, like, in their kind of 
Jim on the farm, right? He's like pumping iron and then it cuts to the brothers making their walk out together. And I, I actually, I think... ju- just to particularly shout out Jeremy Allen White, he's just got so much just like charisma and swagger walking out there. You're like, God, this guy is it. Like there's a reason everyone's favorite show on TV. This is the guy at the front of this, even though he's he's playing a very different character. He's playing a character who's just like overcome with neuroses. You see him in this kind of role. You see him getting to perform or walk in. You're like, God damn, this is a movie star. And when the three of them, Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, and Harris Dickinson walk out together and Tom Sawyer is playing, like that is one of the best movie moments of the year. That is like, hell yeah, I'm ready to run through a wall here. And I think they do it as like, a actual needle drop where Mike is like putting yes, a needle on I, some I vinyl and, right. and that could that could be Scorsese's rat, but it's not. It works. Uh, you know, Mike's the mu- musician of the family too. I like he, I like diegetic to non diegetic. I like when you get that when it's when you you hear a song playing within the world of the movie, and then all of a sudden it's God's eye view, and we're hearing I I. You can do it very poorly. It depends what the song choice is. depends what the scene. But I think it's executed well. I really, really like it. Yeah, and just now I just have another song that rips that I associate with Jeremy Allen White. This is Strange Currencies all over again. Uh, yeah, that's like of such a just moment that smacks you in the face in the best way possible. And is that when they're going against like the Firebirds or whatever their names are? Or whatever? Correct. I believe that's uh, right. Or the Freebirds, sorry. Freebirds, uh, Freebirds, with, yes. You know, Another song. We didn't have any Leonard Skinner pop up in this, but uh, it very well could have. I I would imagine. Don't fear the that, Reapers uh, in there. Like it, it is all of those that kind of yeah error and collection of songs. And it, I don't know. It just feels perfect. I, the wrestling has been really lauded from people who know a whole lot more about yeah, this than, than you and I. It looks phenomenal. I just think in terms of staging a lot of this stuff in a ring, it like. You mentioned earlier, we see so many boxing films. We've seen plenty of MMA films even in recent years. As much as there's like really kind of top end goal standards that we all know people kind of shoot for with this stuff. A lot of it just looks very bad. The wrestling looks great and the performance elements, the actual fight choreography, all that stuff is just convincing. It looks like wrestling. Um, it's not surprising there were Von Erichs working on the film from the, the later generation of the Von Erichs. Um, there were former wrestlers, a whole variety of kind of consultants who were kind of very much marred in that world. But that's always the case for a movie on this kind of subject matter. It doesn't always come out like that. And also, I think the, oh, I can't remember the name of like the arena that is built in Dallas that they kind of head everything up from. Um, but that was that was built like they purpose built that they found what I read was a furniture showroom that they thought, oh, this just could kind of be it. And they tore everything out and they managed to build that up like this is a film with a sub 16 million dollar budget. Um, and it looks absolutely sensational, like in terms of production design. And that's on a really large scale that doesn't necessarily always get recognized when it's not like sci fi or something. And I, I think it's a really really great movie in that regard too um i don't think and i you know what there's still time and this is not far out of it so i could change my mind i could end up walking this back and you could all be like you're a liar 
by the time our best <laughs> of um 2023 episode comes around i think for me this is going to be a very high honorable mention that will just end up outside of it but i do think this is going to be one of the films from the year 2023 that i am going to have like it it sounds weird to say the most fun re-watching but i feel like i'm just going to re-watch it a lot it's a film that i could imagine myself once a year twice a year just being like you know what i'm in the mood for i want to watch the iron claw um and I think that's a real testament to it. I, I think it manages to kind of tread that line as we talked at the start where it's kind of a perfect encapsulation of wrestling where you've you've got these elements of highbrow and lowbrow and kind of sport and entertainment and performance and blood and sweat and tears and it's all coming together and you just kind of you got this perfect mix where I just think it works really, really well as a film. It's a very, very strong film, but very enjoyable to watch, which given the subject matter and given how devastatingly it's portrayed, I think is a major, major achievement. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more. It's it's kicking around the uh, back half of my Top 10, like you said, it's something that may be high honorable mention. It may sneak onto the list. I still got to, like, sometimes you just need to look at the films you've seen and just, like, think about them and just, like, m- make your cuts at the, not the last possible moment, but, like, you know, just be like, all right, we're here. Make I've a got call. one one left. I've got one film left um, to see, and I, I have indeed booked my ticket for that film, so... That is uh, Vin Vendor's Perfect Days. That's the last film of 2023 as such that I have I am going to be considering. Um, I've hit everything else that's major that I can and that is you know available to me and that it feels like has to go down in the history books as a 2023 movie. So I'm very close, Andrew, which is exciting. Yeah, Adam, I was talking uh talking to my theater friends again yesterday, uh, asking about uh. This is Perfect to be days. clear. This is not your wife and your brother from your class in high school. This is the friends you have made at the movie theater you now frequent. Yes, and uh, Perfect Days is going to get a run uh, this weekend and into next week. So I will be there seeing that go. very soon soon as well. Uh, when is your ticket booked for? Um, I think it's next Tuesday. It's in the middle. Okay. It's with like five other films. I've I've got a film festival next week and one of the days where I can just about squeeze it in as well, it's being squeezed in. We may be seeing it on the same day. Um huh. I'm also possibly going to a screening of uh, Amelie soon. Uh, nice. at that same theater. So, you know. Never I've I, never seen it. I've I, I own it. I've never got round to it. Maybe I should watch it so you have someone to discuss of it. Yeah, maybe. Um but yeah, I've seen the the perfect days uh trailer the last few times i've been there is is, is when winters i don't mean to derail us as we have a hard stop uh is he putting out something else it's like a like documentary or something or i i believe it has already been released i have not seen it okay. i don't I don't see a way that's available i just it wouldn't have got a wide release in that same sense um but he did have two films in 2023 the other being anselm um, which is about the the German oh. artist sculptor Anselm Kiefer. They are both playing 
I can do oh. a Wim 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 uh, Wim Wenders double header next week. Man. Vim that, Vim Vanders. Vim Vim. You, you know, like this is how it goes. Uh, I'm just it's funny you you love Vim Vanders. I'm just I'm getting you Listen, even Par- more. Paris speak. Texas. Like if I can see that on the big screen, like sign me up. What? I listen. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. I thought no, you were going to do. Another, me I, thought, away. I was waving. I thought you were going to do another Paris Texas bit that I wouldn't have been able to, you know, keep it together if you did. But oh, I can no, fill no, you in no. on that later. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. I, I, I never prank you, Adam. What are you talking no, about? No, never, never. <laughs> to wrap up the Iron Claw, I do think we should talk about one of the scenes right towards the very end of this film, which I have heard it be almost universally praised, and. I don't think either of us liked it. And to me, it like it pulled me out of my seat to an extent, which it didn't spoil the movie, but I was feeling certainly my first viewing in a theater. My God, this is like a perfect movie. This is right up there with my best of the year. And there's just one moment in the film that just broke it for me tonally and just didn't work. Um, Just kind of continuing what I Honestly, I have no problems with a trend of 2023 films of like really going for like big swings towards the end of their movies, doing really bold and kind of bracing things. I'm for that, but this is one that didn't work for me. Um, and this is that after after Carrie dies, when Kevin finds Carrie um against a tree, right, in the in the garden at the family home. He brings him inside, he lays him on the table, he's sitting with him, and from there we get transported to uh, like a dream sequence, a fantasy sequence where Carrie is in kind of the idyllic rural lands that are very much kind of the, the surrounds of the Van Eric family home and the kind of places where the brothers would have grown up and He's essentially welcomed, you know, greeted by the brothers who've predeceased him. So Mike is there, David is there, and they eventually part in a meadow of sorts to reveal that uh little Jack, the youngest of the bunch, is also there. Who I feel yeah, I feel like I've got the timelines right that I mean Kevin would never have met Jack by well, he certainly wouldn't have memories of Jack. Jack died when he was six. I I don't think or sorry, not Kevin, Kerry, I should say, would never have would never have met Jack, I don't think. Right. Um This is, I guess, supposed to be kind of a real emotional high point send off for the movie. Maybe some sort of mo- moment of healing like maybe it is a kindness the film is doing to try and show you the brothers in a moment that isn't what what all bar kevin's end ultimately was it just doesn't work for me i really it broke so severely with the tonality and with the realism of the film which there is kind of a there is something of a grit to it um and even more than that i i was deeply moved by the scene which preceded it which was kevin with his children getting emotional talking to his children about why being reassured as to why i thought it was a really really beautiful scene a really beautiful ending 
I don't know. Maybe it's just it's that Durkin wanted to give those characters and I'm saying characters, but these were real people. Uh, some moment of grace in what is a really tough and harrowing story. I don't begrudge that, but in terms of the movie, I just it didn't work for me and I didn't really feel it was necessary because I think the movie certainly has its its nice kind of fittingly emotional payoff. I guess it's just to give those those characters their send off. But I it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me. I, I didn't like it. I felt it was kind of overly sentimental and the way it was captured was even pretty jarring to me. I don't know what you have to say. And I know you didn't love it either. I don't know if you've any better understanding of it or where you come down. Uh, yeah, we're on the same page with that. Um, and I'm not opposed to, like you said, big swings like that or things that are taking you out of like the physical world of the film. But I think this one just doesn't work. Um, the scene leading up to it, where Kevin pulls up to the house, he's looking for Carrie, he hears the gunshot where he's killing himself, and then he carries him, or he strangles his dad first, he strangles Fritz, and then carries him, uh, carries body to the dining room table, which is just like such an impactful scene and a brutal scene. Uh, so your assumption is the same as mine is that he needed some sort of grace and levity or like healing and showing them all together. But I think, I think at that point in the film, you can just sit in the, you can sit in the brutalness. And like you said, you get the, uh, you get the scene with, uh, his kids playing football and he, Kevin breaks down because he said the line is like absolutely gut punching where he says like, we're like, why are you crying? It's like, I'm not a brother anymore. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. And by that point, I'm just done. And so I don't think you need the the other part of it. I think uh, it didn't ruin the film for me by any means. This is something I would stand behind and recommend. But like, yeah, it's very it's just jarring. It's weird. Overall, though, I think we both strongly recommend this film. It was one we really, really enjoyed. And I think we'll revisit a lot in the in the future. And I hope that it it acts as a springboard for everyone in this film. I mean, I don't know how much of a springboard Jeremy Allen White really needs at the moment, but at the same time, it's a big deal to see him in a movie that's really good. Like, that is something that doesn't necessarily always happen for actors, that kind of ability to switch between movies and TV. So seeing him do that is certainly noteworthy. Um. I hope Zach Efron can continue to do more interesting work. Honestly, this sold me a lot more on Harris Dickinson than pretty much anything else I've seen Harris Dickinson in so far. Um, Triangle of Sadness was not his fault, but I cannot pretend to have liked it. You know what he was actually kind of all right in? Where the Where crawdads saying? Yeah. <laughs> and, and just thinking of that now, I'm like, God, no wonder Harris Dickinson nailed this accent. He's been... He's been in his southern bag for a while now. He's really been practicing. We're gonna so, do a wild mountain time where the crawdads sing episode one of these days, and then then I'll give my full opinion on whether or not accents work. We might need to. Uh, we might need to do a lot. I don't know if it's a good idea, but when there's nothing else on, maybe it's an idea that we follow through on. I mean, it's kind of funny. People, you know, I'm sure people come to this podcast for us just, you know, goofing around sometimes. All right, coming up on Capture and Celluloid, make time for this. Um, next week, 
you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna drop we'll drop an episode that Andrew has made reference to earlier. We'll drop that in the feed as well, because it will include Andrew and I talking about a movie. We'll be joined by Jordan Tresky. It'll probably be more of a win in six episode than a and make time for this, but why not both, Andrew? Um, it will be on the recently released Yanisatsu Kumpo documentary on Amazon Prime. So we will talk a little bit about that. We'll we'll send that over as I guess something of a bonus, maybe towards the tail end of next week, if not into the following week. If I got my dates right, when are the Academy Awards? Um, yeah, I think we've got the time to space it like that. We have. Giannis next week. That's what you'll hear next on this feed. The week after that, we will do our Academy Awards preview and we will share some of our alternate picks. The week after that, it'll be best of 2023 time. Bring it there, Andrew. And then we're we're in the complete like everything is opened up. What do we do now? Now, I mean, it's not quite like that because by the time we get to that point, like Dune 2 will be now for two and a half weeks and maybe we're like, yeah, we should probably do a Dune 2 episode at that point. We'll see. Um, But we'll be freed up and we can maybe jump back and forth to True Time a bit more or yes, even do a Wild Mountain Time where the Crawdads <laughs> sing episode if that's what you really desire, Andrew. So to make sure you don't miss any of that, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's make time for this. You should also check out the rest of the GSPN shows on the main feed, the Eurostep Podcast Network. You get not one, but two Milwaukee pod- Milwaukee Books podcasts on the one feed. You get the Eurostep with Tywin and Ron Cuddy, and you get Win and Six with myself and Jordan Tresky. You should also subscribe to Cruising for Bruising for more from Andrew and I, where we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Brewers are putting the team together. Really are. They're They're... All the things, which is nice that we've, you know, we've recorded a podcast about they weren't official and we recorded another podcast. They're all official now as we speak, Andrew, so we don't have to worry about twists and turns to that. That's all safe. That's all taken care of in the bank. And last, by no means least, if you're into Green Bay Packers, Talking to Tundra is your one-stop shop for a Packers stock. Join Numac, join Jordan, and they will guide you through Green Bay's offseason. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam.